welcome to Trek Companion. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. This is episode 55, and today we are going to be discussing Next Gen's first season episodes, Data Lore, Angel One, and 11001001. Here we go. Data Lore, Season 1, Episode 12, Production Number 114, Original Air Date, January 18th, 1988, Directed by Rob Bowman, Story by Robert Lewin and Maurice Hurley, Teleplay by Robert Lewin and Gene Roddenberry, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Biff Yeager as Argyle. The Enterprise crew investigate the 26-year-old mystery surrounding the disappearance of an Earth colony in the Omicron Theta star system, which also happens to be when and where Lieutenant Commander Data was discovered. While investigating Omicron, the away team discovers a laboratory containing an android body parts that, when assembled, could be Data's long-lost brother. I wonder which of them was made first. He was. They found him to be imperfect, and I was made to replace him. You may call me Lore. <laughs> I just got to go right off the bat. There was one, there was one line in this episode. I haven't watched this episode in a while, and that I just totally didn't remember. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Jordy's line. My brother, that has a nice. Sound to it, Data. <laughs> Data's response to be, thanks, you jive turkey. <laughs> My- they had a lot of that kind of stuff in the first season, you know. I don't know what's up with that. I mean, but it kind of just went away later, you know. I mean, it is that kind of thing, but I don't know. Yeah. Brother. God. My brother. <laughs> well. Reminded me of... Um, I think it was Steve McQueen's last movie, or maybe one of his last movies, the one that LeVar Burton was in. He does play, he, I mean, he plays a little bit of a, you know, of a 80s black cool guy, or late 70s Harlem kind of black guy. Right. But it's a decent movie. Uh, okay, so, I'm going to go, I'm going to guess that you both like this episode, and I bet Mr. Embry really likes this episode. I do like it, yeah. Um it's uh, of course it introduces lore. We get background on. Um, so it introduces lore. It gives us lore. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed, and uh, you know we got to see a lot of uh, we get to see Brent Spiner's talents. Obviously, I mean playing two characters, but you know I mean I think for me it, that really um, comes across when I I mean for just like a split second when I was like looking up the guest cast. You know, like, what about, I mean, you know, for just for a second, I mean, you know, it's, it's him, but he just does such a great job of playing those two characters and you never doubt which one's which. It's not like they're, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I really dig this. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love the little sinister twitch in his face to begin with, you know, how they tell, I guess that was just so you could tell them apart off the mm-hmm. bat. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, because they don't do that again in the, in the, the other times we see Laura, correct? Well, he, he fixes himself there. With the yeah. little with the little flashlight, no, it's more like when they were writing the episode, they had to write that in because it, it probably didn't occur to them that that Spiner could do such an incredible job that you'd be able to tell him apart uh, just from the way he's performing, right? Yeah. And just if you still, if you had a still, they were in the same uniform, and you had a still of them, just from these little subtle, um, sort of smile things or stuff like that, you could tell that it was lower. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I did watch the Blu-ray for this one. Um, my one complaint about it, it's it's sometimes it's almost too good because you can tell more. You can tell more that Data's wearing makeup than. than oh the well, I know. it was pretty pretty the uh, the fight scene near the end of the cargo bay in, in HD is like it, in in SD you could pretty much tell that it, the wide shots all of a sudden it was some other guy, but oh my god, in HD is like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but. The crystalline entity looked awesome in HD. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so I like this episode a lot for the kind of reasons you're talking about. Uh, you know, the 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 lore, the 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 not lore, but the lore. Yeah, the um, this there's so much history about Data's character and his relationship with his brother, the existence of his brother. Is this the first time we hear the mention hear Doctor Noonien Sung's name? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah there, there's so much in this episode now. <clears throat> At the end of our podcast today, we're going to be discussing 11001101, which, bef- you know, it's been years since I watched the first season of Next Gen. I remembered the Binars episode as, as being my favorite episode from season one. And now that I've watched them, I can confirm I think that is, that is still the case. That's still probably, for me, the only borderline great episode from the first season. Um, however, as our listeners may recall, my spouse watched DS9 uh, with me. She's not watching Next Gen. She's just going to watch select episodes. Um, but I actually chose for her to watch Data Lore instead of 110001, even though the latter is much better, because Data Lore has such a huge effect on the story arc uh, in not just Next Gen, really, but uh, oh. yeah, mm-hmm. um, that I, I did, I, I felt like it was a necessary narrative episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, <clears throat> My favorite parts of it are like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I love that whole section of uh, we go down to this planet, they find the secret door, they're going down these long hallways, you know, it's just like deeper and deeper. They get to the lab. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they'd had a little more money and could have made all of these things, you know, bigger and had more stuff in them and whatever. But so what? Um, you know, I, I really love all those sections. Um, the music's great in those scenes, too. Yeah, actually, it's it's rare for me to write down about a music cue, but I when they, the lab reveal these this like sweeping string string thing, I, this one was Ron Jones, right, Steve? Uh, uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Some of that was really great. Although, I no sooner did I say, "Man, that that music cue was fantastic. That was really good." That all of a sudden we get this like super synthesized thing that made it sound like it's twenty five years old. Which, by the way, <laughs> it's five years old almost to the day that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. You know, I still have kind of a love-hate relationship with Ron Jones, but there's a perfect example. That one scene, the lab scene, opens with a beautiful score, and it ends whenever they see Lore's parts with this just kind of pointless synthesized thing that's more of an effect than a piece of music. I don't know. But, um, yeah, that, that bit of it was, was really good. Um, so I love that whole first, uh, whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then, I, I mean, I like the last bit, too. I think it's maybe it's a little bit... I mean, a lot happens in this episode. I was going to say maybe... <clears throat> um, sorry, I've got a li- just a tiny bit of a cold. So uh, maybe lore, uh, you know, the things that his character does, it, it would have been nice. It's a little fast. It might have been nice to have a little bit more, um, instead of him basically waking up as the bad guy, having a little bit more opportunity for him to kind of um, fake being the good guy, because this is really the only opportunity to do so, right? From now on, we know he's a bad guy. Um, but 
honestly, I can't really fault them for that because so much happens in this episode. When you think about just like plot wise, there's a lot of stuff happening in this episode. You, you know, I, most of the time I forget that I, I do associate with lore with the crystalline entity, but I forget that um, you know that both lore and crystalline entity were introduced in the same episode. Some mm-hmm. of the time, they go way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there's so much in this episode. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with you, Brian. I'm watching the first 15 minutes of this, and I can't I couldn't help but think to myself like how this would kind of make like a really good like TV horror movie show if they went back and showed the story of the whole colony, what happened, you know, just kind of you know you have your you have your perfect villain and lore. It was just kind of just going through my head. It's like this would be kind of like a really good horror movie in a Trek genre. You know, all the colonists are killed. You know, you only have one survivor. Kind of that whole alien feel. It's such a mystery too, like, you know, for data, like where did it come from? You know, I, I was I was I woke up here. You know, we're gonna get a lot of these answers more and more as time goes on, but but that that makes it you know, it's diving into that mystery which is what's driving them down these these corridors and stuff. And it it's just it's very engaging, you know. So that's why those first fifteen, twenty minutes I mean the first half of the episode is the, is is what I really, really enjoy. Um then the last go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. Oh, well, you know what, in a way, and it just kind of occurred to me, what structurally this episode reminds me of is Space Seed from the original series, the introduction of Khan, um, because of the way they bo- they start with this bit of going someplace, discovering, you know, like like going like in the Space Seed, going to the ship, finding the frozen people and all that stuff, too. Then you kind of have the middle section where you get to know the villain before you even really know he's a villain and kind of the back and forth. And then with the latter, final third being the villain trying to, you know, wreak havoc in one way or another and having to dispose of him in some fashion. You know, that, that kind of strikes me that way. No, that's a good point. And um, this was the final uh, Star Trek script that Gene Roddenberry's name was on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you know, saying that it has kind of an original series feel a little bit is, is um, I'm sure, very fair. Yeah. And look, you know, uh, Khan, the character, of course, they came back to and had this big screen adventure. Lore, we're going to come back to a couple of times, but of course, uh, what's the two-parter? Descent? Mm-hmm. You know, that's like almost a feature right there. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about this, you know, like um, I think we get more, it feels like we get more backstory on Data and probably Worf. In this um, in this whole series about their background and where they came from and where they're going, you get a little bit because Picard. It, it, it's always been Picard and Data are the two big ones, right? Even at least that's what the studio <clears> thought. <throat> All the movies, it was always Picard and Data, Picard and Data, and we get we find out everything about Data. Mm-hmm. But in a way, we see Data's life start to finish, but we don't find out much about Picard. We never do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not in this season, but I mean, Worf, we start getting a lot more backstory about Worf when they feel like he becomes a stronger character later on. Yes, oh, 9 is where we really open up Worf, yeah. Hello? Hello. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hey. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> Everyone just stop talking. Well, my, I talk about good lines in the thing, though. How about bogey on a 5 o'clock tangent? I enjoyed that one, too. <laughs> Jordy gets all the best lines. Yeah, I was going to say, why, why, what happened to the Jive version of that? <laughs> oh, no. That was, that was it. <laughs> the, the, the stuff with um, uh, Picard and Riker you know, not trusting Wesley, or not, you know, uh, it's a little bit... you know. And, and it, The only reason it bugged me is because I'm like, 
why did they even need to do any of this? Why couldn't it have just been um, Wesley giving him a funny look and being and saying, you know, um, Captain, can I accompany Data down there to see Laura or something? You know, that's all. They didn't need to have the whole bits with. Um, I'm not going anywhere with him or whatever. You know, yeah. just to have well, them not listen. Well, it's kind of weird because I'm uh, we you watch these and there's this they they explain it in what is in the ready room scene where Picard talks about the awkwardness of data and you know his new brother at the time Laura you know how they define them and that kind of thing and then there's another scene where Picard is referring to Laura as it I thought that was I don't know maybe that was just like a first season they had to like feel their way out of it but you know looking back now it just seems kind of weird and awkward why why were they doing that but I guess at the time those were decisions they kind of had to make because this was all brand new well, I love that that scene and that line that you mentioned. I love that that scene is there with Picard and Data. Who else is in that scene? Well, no, the re- the ready room scene's great where they're talking. You know, it's um, it's Riker and I believe Jordy. But then then they go back to it again where he's at, where they're actually in the ready room and they're having that discussion. And Data points out to Picard that he's referring to Laura as it. Yeah. So I thought that you know you know, it's, but you know this is they're they're tackling these things for the first time. You know, these we see these things for the first time, and I think, at least in my case, I just tend to forget. Like, oh, I'm you know, I've seen all these things before, but this is actually the first time they did it. Well, that's another comment too. Is that is that um, it's easy to forget that this episode is in season one for me, because you know I do think of season one as being overall fairly weak, um, and the you know Data's storyline about his brother and his father. All of that, even the crystalline entity, is certainly a very strong uh, narrative. So I don't associate it with season one. It's it's surprising sometimes to remember an episode like this coming from season one. Even the Binars episode, which, as I just said, I think is probably the best episode from season one. Even that one, it still feels a bit like – it feels like a season one episode just just hit, firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But data lore is different. Speaking um, of that episode, I also was kind of impressed how they yeah, actually have a little bit of continuity, which was so rare in the early seasons where they refer to the computer refit that they get to in the two episodes away. Oh, and in data lore, they mentioned they're, they're overdue for a computer refit. Yeah. Yeah, they- yeah that was cool. Um, <clears throat> but I did want to mention specifically that, uh, that scene again about with Picard, because it's a short little scene, but I love that it's there. You know, <coughs> um, Picard has this line of, you know, it feels awkward to remember or be put in a situation where we remember that data is a machine. Just remember that humans are also um, sorts of machines. You know, and I don't know. It's, it's a nice little moment. Sure. It's a, you know, having just watched Measure of Man, that Fathom event, you know, it it, it makes me think about um, the way they're, they're going to be forced in the future to think about these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get a, some really great episodes out of it. Um, so, you know, and, and another comparison, I guess, to the original series, which isn't the greatest comparison, is, you know, when you watch the original series, sometimes, if you, especially if you watch a, a lot of the episodes back-to-back, sometimes it feels like no matter what's, what the deal is, the end of the episode is either com- Kirk out-talking a computer until it kills itself, or more likely, <laughs> this fight. No matter what it is, it'll be Kirk fighting one-on-one with somebody. Um so sometimes when if those rare times when next gen ends up that way, like this episode ends with data fighting lore, um, it's not that it's bad. It's it's fine. It's just 
it's not as strong as the first act of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they really fighting, or is Lore just throwing barrels at Data? <laughs> <laughs> or drums, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I mean, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to show Superman, you know, fighting. I mean, you know, so you, but, you know, it's hard to, I mean, you have to make the assumption those barrels must be a zillion pounds or whatever, you know. So uh, I do I do like the turbo lift when he closes it off on him and war fighting. Because I remember, I remember even at the time thinking, okay, you always knew how super strong data was, but you know, war, the Klingon and everything is also tough too. And it's like, let's see a fight. And of course, it's not much of a fight, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Morph has a tough time of it in these couple episodes here. He gets his butt kicked by Lore, and then he gets pretty sick later on. And um, what is it, Angel One? Yeah, the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? What was this that Lore did? Lore like poisoned it or something? Yeah, that's, I believe it. Yeah, that's some what. Sign of some way or another. It seemed yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if anybody's going to know how to do it, it would be Lore. But it seems like a stretch to say there's some liquid that Data could ingest that would immediately render him, mm. you know, unconscious or something. But yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was um, uh, how you know th- this this backstory about how lore was in fact created first, but um, soon gave him tried to make him too human, and you know that includes all our faults as well, such as our um, I don't know. He has. He clearly has like a superiority complex. He has emotions that he can't necessarily control. Um, uh, our arrogance, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is the kind of thing that I think of as very Gene Roddenberry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but trying to explore a little bit uh, that. Uh, too human isn't necessarily a good thing. And in, and in an odd way, uh, we're saying that data in lacking these things is superior. That data being forced to be cold, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's it's asking some questions here, and I guess we're getting into what it's about. But but it, it I'm not sure that that's – I'm not sure that I agree with it. Well, I guess um, you could say um, the one emotion that Lore probably lacks is humility, and um, Data is forced to have humility. You know, just by, I guess by design, just by the simple fact that Data isn't <clears throat> doesn't have the, the same kind of emotions that Lore does. I would argue Data does have some primitive emotions, but we'll go into that later. But definitely, Lore lacks any kind of humility. You know, he feels like he's superior. You know, he has. You know, you can make that that jump to Khan that humility, that superiority. And the way Data is designed, he's designed with these, you know, to to go through humility. You know, we see the struggle throughout this, the series and onto the films where, you know, he struggles, once he finally gets emotion, he struggles with it. But I, I would say that he struggles with that because he's learned humility through the process of that, what he's going through in these early years in the, in the Next Gen series. Well, is there an inherent implication here that the human race would be better off without emotion well no it's not like in the original series we had uh, you know um, the, a common question common refrain was that Spock was uh, only he was superior to a certain point and then it was always Kirk's balance between logic and emotion that would win out right that would be mm-hmm. the smartest play yeah, I you know <clears throat> I'm not sure. I mean, I I didn't 
guess I didn't give, give, give all this a great deal of thought, these kind of notions watching it, but, but yeah, I don't, if they're, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't believe they're trying to, uh, that's not what they're trying to say. I don't think they're trying to say is that, and, and, you know, and, and you certainly talk about Roddenberry's influence on the episode. He's never been one to say, um, the lack of emotions, the way to go, you know, he obviously, um, um, appreciated the various human drives and whatnot, but um, I, I think I think it's I think it's more about the danger of in that way. It's the danger of a, of being. It's one step from saying you're superior to somebody to disregarding the life of something else. You know, if like as soon as you say I'm better than you, how far is that from? your life's not worth anything, you know, you're disposable, you know, I can use you to, um, to, for as, as an, in, as means to an end for my goals and such. Well, it's, it's also interesting, I guess, that <clears throat> is a solid comparison there with Khan, you know, what, what was Khan's drive? Certainly, um, during the eugenics wars, as he says, we offered them order. You know, his his he found that if if he was uh, running things, he thought everything would be better. Um, so, kind of his goal was in Space Seed, it was to take over and mm-hmm. lead. That you know, his goal that was not his goal in, in uh, Wrath of Khan. But um, I kind of wonder, like, what is Lore's? And maybe that's something that this episode kind of misses out a little bit, is that is you know what is Lore's goal? You know he he does think of of Data as the closest thing to his equal, um, but he still thinks he's superior to Data. Um, and maybe that's giving they're that's giving them an opportunity to find something for Lore. You know, by the time we see him in Descent, which I think that's the last time we see him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we see him in Descent, he does have kind of a mission if you will he, he has yeah. a modus operandi so <clears throat> I guess you could say the only motivation in this episode you know he wanted the um, crystalline entities gratitude whatever whatever yeah he seemed to be concerned very much with that I mean we don't really understand why that is it go, obviously goes way back to you know giving up the colonists even to this crystalline entity but I mean yeah there's what's the point why we don't really I don't know why if we ever discover why that is why what's his loyalty to this thing why does why does he want to please the crystalline entity? I don't, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's it's so easy that there's he has. Last thing I really want to say here. So he has this. He has a line about. Yeah, I did. I lied to you earlier when I said that uh, you were created first. You know, and they they fly over that line, but like, holy crap! I mean, um, data is. Can you imagine Data lying? I mean, it just seemed like a really, really, really big deal, and it said so much about his his character. And his, his, he was immediately emotional, and you know, he, he obviously had this superiority complex. Um, and um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I remember from it. But at the same time, um, it just it got there so fast. I kind of mentioned that earlier, but that was the last thing I wanted to specifically call out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like a really, really big deal uh, that he would lie. And then even, you know, Data recognizes the importance of it because he says, you understand I have to immediately report this to the captain. Of course, he doesn't get that opportunity. Um, but And it's kind of, I guess, you know, we find all about, we never really find out much more about the crystalline entity. I mean, it gets destroyed before we find out. What is that, in the sixth or seventh season when it gets knocked out it feels like six but uh, I think yeah um, but isn't there 
Is there one other time we see it, or is that the only other time we see it? I believe this is the only other. I think it's only two episodes. Could be wrong. Gosh, it feels like so much more. Listeners out there, correct us if we're incorrect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else on this one, guys? Nope. I don't think so. All right. Oh, golly. Uh, Adam, you going first or second? I'll go first. Here we go. Six degrees for data lore. Adam. On this episode, Gene Roddenberry shares his final Trek writing credit with Robert Lewin. On which of the following next-gen episodes did he share a credit with C.J. Holland? Was it Run. the... Go ahead. Yeah, was it The Last Outpost, Justice, or Hide and Q? So Roddenberry only had um, three or four writing credits in Next Gen, all in season one. And I'm asking which of these three was one of his other writing credits. Last Outpost, Justice, or Hide and Q? Mm, I'll say Hide and Q. You are correct. It was Hide and Q. <laughs> Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Soon was mentioned for the first time in this episode. Brent Spiner plays Lore and Soon, of course. Name the fourth season episode when we see Soon, Lore, and Data together. Ah, uh, yes. Um, is it uh, Brothers? You are correct. It's Brothers. One to one. Moving on. Angel One, Season One, Episode 13, Production Number 115. Original air date January 25th, 1988. Directed by Michael Rhodes, written by Patrick Berry, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Karen Montgomery as Beta, Sam Hennings as Ramsey, Patricia McPherson as Ariel, and Leonard John Crowfoot as Trent. The crew travels to Angel One, a planet run by women, to search for survivors from a human freighter disabled by an asteroid collision seven years earlier. The way team soon discovers that the survivors, all men, are fugitives on the planet because they refuse to embrace the female-dominated government. Despite their oppressed status, the fugitives turn down the away team's offer to return with them to the Enterprise. But they gradually became restive, started making unreasonable demands went against the natural order. Using the technology of the Enterprise, we might be able to find these men. I assumed as much. But be warned, Counselor. These men are dangerous. <sighs> so here we, here we have another one of these anomalies. Folks, if you're watching this in all its HD glory from the new Blu-rays, it's just so... It's like... It doesn't... Like, my brain... It doesn't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, there's so many things about this episode that are so 1987 or 1988 television, um, but it uh, but it looks like they shot it yesterday, and yeah. it doesn't click. And so, in a way, it like makes it feel even if this makes sense. An episode like this, in a way, it almost makes it feel more dated. I don't know why. It's just it's so weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm I seem like I'm talking about this. A lot in this first season, and maybe that'll go away as, I, as the episodes get better and better. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of man chest in this episode. Mm. Yeah, there is, both with and without hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had we had Trent, who had none, and then of course uh, Riker, and that's like those are of course the scenes I'm talking about that are particular. Uh, aside from of course the well, entire episodes, too. well, the entire episode's premise uh, being. Um, more like it's from the 60s than 2012, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, aside from all of that, the more immediate 
moment-to-moment things like like yeah Riker when he puts on his indigenous dress and he's got his <laughs> crazy airy chest can you I don't think they would do that primetime sci-fi TV today um, no. but the way the women giggle it, it's so like you know I don't know yeah yeah yeah, or or the the, the most the, the craziest thing is um, when Data's like you know I am unfamiliar with uh, the word perfume. Well, well okay, so back to that is silly because he should know every dang word. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. I must, oh, Data, that's an aphrodisiac, and everybody laughs. Ha 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 ha. R d r r r. You know, yeah. it's it's, <laughs> it's tough. It is kind of tough. I admit that. Tough, Tasha tough. shouldn't be laughing either in that mm. scene. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> she should she, be turning red. She taught Data everything he knows. I'm sure. Um, um, by the way, we do get to see Picard without a shirt on in this episode as well. Oh, when he's ill. Yeah. Yeah. Play Picard. He's kind of in between. He's so, got. So yeah, they just really about the shirtless stuff. I mean, I, I maybe that's you know some of the stuff you wouldn't necessarily have had to bend. You know, they just made a choice. See, it's another example of how this episode we haven't used the word yet, but let's say it sexist. This episode yeah. is sexist. And among other reasons is because we see all these guys with their shirts off, but all the chicks have their shirts on the whole time. Yeah. This well, you, you, well, you can see why they did this. I mean, you can <laughs> see the reason why. I mean, I mean, we can get into what it's about right now if you want. <laughs> unless you want to dis- unless you Chance want to discuss the let's, yeah, yeah, the bullets <laughs> from the um the freighter crew. Those are those are very dated haircuts. Yeah. Wasn't that dated in nineteen eighty seven or nineteen eighty eight? This episode aired in eighty eight, so it was it late January days was probably shot before Christmas in '87. You know, I'm just saying, were mullets dated at that point? Or no, no, I, I think it was prime prime time for mullets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the whole decade of the '80s was a good mullet time. You know, so '88 they were still they were still in in the in the in the area of mullets. Um, another another like I mean, obviously we don't have a shortage of bad things to speak of in this episode, but one thing is that the also the B story has nothing to do with anything. You know, this is a perfect example of the B story with everyone getting sick up there. Have nothing to do with what's going on down there either. It's just totally out of left field. I, I found. Yeah, it loses. The, it, we talked a lot about when we were doing DS Nine about the way that when when they have a thematic relationship that they strengthen one another in a great way, and that is definitely not happening here. However, I will give them credit for one thing: having a clear A and B story at this point is is not set in stone. You know, yeah, I mean, it's that's true. something they really didn't do in the original series, and even up to now, most of Next Gen hasn't even done that. So, overall, I give it a positive just for having an A and a B. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, without you know, so maybe they're going to discover later in the writing uh, room, uh, in the writers' room, how much uh, having those two things uh, related thematically will strengthen each one. Real quick, where did this virus come from? I kind of missed that in this episode. I, uh, I did really on plant or something. A Klingon plant or something. Okay. Yeah, I just kind of missed that. They must have just. Yeah, yeah, no, they didn't do a great job. I uh, still you don't understand. Well, where did it even come from? Wasn't it already on the ship? Or I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's something to do with a Klingon plant. <clears throat> and you know, um, one thing I want to dispute uh, that Riker states earlier on. He he uh, he talks about when he's in when he's in there with the you know the head head chick or whatever, and it's like it's not my function to seduce. You know, I think it is his function. To yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think well, that's his. I think that's his purpose, like all the time. I think that's right. one of his primary functions. Well, because well, he's, the, he's the Kirk of the series. Yeah, it shows you. How, it shows you how the Federation has evolved. You know, we've gotten better because, you know, in, in eighty years earlier in Kirk's time, it had to be the captain. 
But <laughs> by Riker's time, it's an XO's job, and I think that tells you something about <laughs> how society has improved. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, he has less to do anyway. You might as well get that task on to the, the yeah. XO position. Exactly, and he's also the one who has to beam down, right? So right. Um, Hey, real quick, I forget when did um, Deanna? When did she get you know? Because she she's just counselor now. When did she get the commander status? Was that soon or is that later on? Um, I, I think they never firmly establish when and why she has the rank she does. But I think in retrospect, you can assume that that she's a lieutenant commander because she gets a commander status late in the series. Okay. Well, she actually goes through some kind of training for a promotion, doesn't she? Right, when the, the, to get the commander thing, because the, the, <laughs> we, we, we discovered later on in the series that rank is independent of one's ability to command the bridge. So I think her rank is probably lieutenant commander, and she, you know, throughout most of the series, unless we just did, don't see a promotion somewhere, and then late in the series, by the very nature of going through the bridge thing, she gets an extra, you know, solid pip or whatever to get the commander thing late on later on well, the next episode we're going to talk about today must be one of the few times we hear the words wesley you have the bridge <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah even when they're all sick uh no it's um uh it's jordy um i don't i don't think he had any jive talking in this episode but he does say make it so you know he likes to copy picard and yeah um there was one, there was another line, just since we're going off the stuff we don't like about this episode. And hey, folks, as always, we see we like Star Trek, but this episode sticks out even more than usual, considering the episode that's before it and after it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're saying we like Data Lore, and I'm about to tell you how much I love the Barnard's episode. So it really makes Angel One stick out. Um, and another thing that just it made me laugh out loud, I thought it was so funny, was... <laughs> was... Riker goes to all this trouble we see it in earlier scenes him bringing this gift and talks about it (laughs) and finally he brings her the gift and he opens the box and it lights up and she says very impressive (laughs) yeah and it's right in between yeah it's really really she doesn't know anything about it she doesn't know what it is it lights up oh it's impressive it lights up wow very impressive (laughs) she just want to get him in a sack she's going to say whatever's impressive I mean opens his gift box there whatever it is very impressive i'm sure opens his gift box very impressive wink wink yes (laughs) oh my lordy um yeah so oh actually okay okay, here's here's the thing that i was supposed to laugh at and that's good my kind of humor uh the scene when warp says i think i might sneeze and then i think it's jordy who says a klingon sneeze and and warp says only kind I know. <laughs> that's that's my kind of humor, folks. That's like my favorite, my favorite line, funny line, in, uh, the funniest line in all of Star Trek to me is Star Trek Generations. This is not your bedroom. That's my kind of humor. So I, I did like that line a lot. Um, I love the ski suits. Oh, come on, those are great. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah, this is another holiday problem. When they're throwing snow out of the holiday, shouldn't it disappear once you know because it yeah. gets all. Yeah, they yeah. do that up a little bit over time, the instantaneous. But yeah, clearly costume design is a is a strength of this one for sure. <laughs> well, I can close my eyes and see Riker's costume, the blue mm. nightgown draping over him. One um, nipple exposed. Yes. <laughs> it did it was that was it just me or did it look like they'd actually shaved around that nipple just <laughs> I didn't look that close. <laughs> Did you, what did you pause it and take a look? What's going on there? I was looking at it on, in HD on a big screen, you know. It was, oh, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that would have been a nice extra on the set, the the manscaping session or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Here is actual footage from, you know, in the original series they actually did shave. Anytime we were going to see Kirk's chest, they shaved his entire chest because yeah. at the time Roddenberry thought that hairy chests were like women would not find that attractive. That yeah. they should have done that on the first movie because Shatner's got like the gorilla arms. Oh. That's that's one of those things that I bet if you I bet someone has done research in terms of uh, what is appealing like on TV and movies if you see hair or not hair and what's going on in politics or what year it is or something like this <laughs> just one of those things that someone would research. I bet it's different like from culture to culture, of course, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know, you go to Europe and they have different uh, interests and standards. Well, well, the eighty the eighties was a hairy time. You know, think about it. You know, you had Magnum PI back in the eighties, Tom Selleck with his hairy chest and. Caterpillar on his lips, so I mean, like, was, hair was a big deal in the eighties. Well, you know, we're gonna—is it's the next season where right here gets his beard, right or no? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Then we don't see much of his hair otherwhere either. So it's kind of migrated from his chest to his lip. Yes, <laughs> that's kind of a gross image too. <laughs> um, all right, so we haven't really talked about the story in this episode very much. Oh well. Yeah. Um, some, give me something about this story. Yeah. Well, I, I can see what they were trying to do. You know, they're trying to show, you know, like equality, but they're doing it in reverse. I think um, it's it's pretty pretty right there in your face. You know, they're trying to show sexism. Well, maybe that's why. Way. You know, you think about um, is it let that be your last battlefield? But that was that the one with Lokai and you know black on one side, white on one side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. think about episodes like that in the original series, and I, I, it's certainly not subtle. But but here it's like it's too I don't know it's a little goofy yeah <clears throat> um, yeah like I said I think if this had been it it it, it sticks out because of the episodes it's next to um, I just feel like we have to say something about it um, uh, you know what here's something I very positive I like Riker's speech near the end I like the way he the way Frakes delivers it I think he's a I think he's a, He's in. How do I put it? We all. Everybody knows he's good, but I think he's very, very underappreciated his acting abilities on this show. He does a lot of cool. He has a lot of strong episodes. Mm-hmm. Right there are Riker episodes, and, and his acting is good. Um, but I think that kind of performance. I think the kind of stuff that his character uh, needed to do is the it's the kind of acting that a lot of people maybe take for granted or something. You know, like this him delivering that speech at the end, um, he sells it really well. I and, and it really stuck out to me. You know, it it's more obvious watching something like Data Lore, put it that way. You're like, wow, Brent Spider's awesome. He's it's a completely different person right next to this completely different person. You know, it's 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 great acting, but it's more obviously great acting. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I just I just think that his speech at the end is is really good. Um, what does he say? Like, uh, no power can stop evolution. Martyrs cannot be silenced. You know, I, I don't know. He's just he's very good. You know, and um, even an episode like Angel One, he gives it a little weight, mm-hmm. which is saying a lot. Um, I would say this too out there. You know, we've had some fun with it. It's you know, just don't take this episode too seriously. It's kind of goofy, and they try to do things that don't really play out that well but it's fun to look at and fun to make fun of um as we as we have here but i'd agree with you about you know that line at the end you know it kind of finishes up nice 
and you can kind of see what they're trying to do with it. It's not like it's just totally off the mark. It's just wasn't very focused. Yeah, I, th- I think I, yeah, I, I agree with the ending and uh, comments on his speech, and I think <clears throat> that the the prime problem here is not that the premise is is bad. It's just that they they push it to such an extent that. I mean, an episode. I mean, with some with some tweaks, some pretty big tweaks. But you could have made this an episode about sexism versus being a sexist episode. You know, and, yes, and that's yeah. that's where it went down the wrong turn or whatever. Yeah, it wasn't trying to be sexist. It was trying to be about sexism. I agree. And then it and in in the way it failed, it, it just kind of became sexist. Um, you know, one thing that it does. <clears throat> sorry, guys. Um, is. And I don't know how on the nose this is either. This is more like doing research on it. You're just like, oh, it's, some people have pointed this out. That um, especially in the original series, or uh, you know, the Prime Directive, and even earlier Next Gen episodes, the Prime Directive had more to do with pre-warp societies, and that's still generally how we think of it. Um, but in this episode. It's certainly established um, that the Prime Directive also applies not in – we don't even make contact with these people. But you know, if we have some sort of contact, we do not interfere with them, even if they're post-warp. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that we don't, we don't hear about. We don't see that much. But it, you know, because usually we have a real personal stake. You know? um, I don't care if it's a violation of the Prime Directive if I have to go in there to save one of my crew or something. This is a very – particular circumstance where you've got non-federation people that crash on this planet and um it's really all this planet's own affairs so when ramsey says i'm not going i would rather stay here and be executed um you know Riker really can't do anything about it um i mean that's that's a very roddenberry kind of ideal by the end of the episode you certainly get the impression that he's ready to beam them all out of there even against their own will just to save their uh, yeah. lives well a crusher um, stops him because the ship is quarantined yeah but at the very very end like when he's waiting for the people to come back with their decision um that they've halted the execution uh he says prepare to beam everybody up you know mm-hmm. yeah um but you know it, it, in so much as it kind of establishes that concept of even in post-war societies we don't we have a non-interference policy um, and and in so much as that further defines the federation, this episode offers something of value to me. Um, it's just it's just so hard to get through uh, the goofiness. Yeah, the stuff that's either dated or sexist or both. Um, you know, at least uh, was it justice the 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 Wesley thing? Um, at least that one. Everybody was. Attractive and half naked. <laughs> they probably realized that, that that was the key, but they was too far along in the shoot before they figured it out. And it's just like we can't reshoot. Yeah, we can't. several days of this with everyone naked. I mean, there's right. no time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I joke, but for the record, this is a better episode than Justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't take much. You guys, <laughs> you guys have anything what it's about? We've kind of touched on it. Yeah, I think we've kind of touched on it. The you know the, the sexism thing. That didn't quite work out. Yeah, you want to say anything else there, Steve? Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think they they tried to do something with sexism, um, but I really, I mean, I think it's closer to really being about um, just uh, you know t- 
trying to suppress any group, you know, because, you know, the kind of the classic, you know, trying to suppress any group because they're different is not going to work out in the long run because, um, like what Riker said, I mean, you know, there, um, things change. Can't, can't stop evolution. Yeah. They slow it down. Yeah. And that's always going to be in a way, uh, timely, you know? I mean, when the guy, when the male population on that planet starts to grow chest hair, it's that's it. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. It's over. Um, unfortunately, that means poor Trent isn't going to be of any help. Mm. But you know, six degrees for Angel One. Uh, we're at, we're at one, one, right? Yep. yep. All right, this one's a little stretch, uh, Steve, but here you go. Uh, Patricia McPherson plays Ariel. Ariel was making secret trips to her lover, Ramsey. Given the 80s action series she was best known for, what would be the name of the car that she drove to Ramsey's house? God. Uh, Kit? (laughs) You are right. It would be Kit. (laughs) I loved me, Knight Rider, when I was a wee... Uh, Knight Rider, Knight Rider. Okay, Adam, two to one. David Hasselhoff, another chest hair. That's right. Mm, there you go. There's yeah, six degrees, whatever. <laughs> uh, Adam Leonard Crowfoot uh, played the hairless, chested boy toy Trent. In Next Gen's third season, he played the early genderless version of Data's android offspring in the episode The Offspring. Name this character. That would be his daughter. That was the no. I can't remember his daughter's name, but no, I don't know. Steve, uh, was it Lol? You are correct. It was Lol. Uh, three to one. Moving on. One one zero zero one zero zero one. Season one, episode fourteen. Production number one sixteen. Original air date February first, nineteen eighty eight. Directed by Paul Lynch. Written by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Carolyn McCormick as Minuet, Gene Donarski as Orful Quinteros, Katie Boyer as zero one, Alexander Johnson as one zero, Eva Lane as zero zero, Kelly Ann McNally as one one, Jack Sheldon as piano player, Abdul Salam El Razak as bass player and ron brown as drummer while docked at starbase 74 for a computer upgrade by the binars a species interdependent on computers the enterprise's magnetic containment field is deteriorating and the ship must be evacuated but the crew is unable to locate captain mccard and commander Riker, who are unknowingly being distracted by a computer generated woman on the holodeck position report Coordinates 4159.26 by 81921 by 312. Heading 233, Mark 45. Destination. Planet Binus in the Beta Magellan system. The Binars. I don't understand the Binars have stolen the Enterprise. That information is not available. Okay. Now, this is an odd episode in that... I'm not sure how this episode would play in another season, exactly. And I'm not even entirely sure. Like, it doesn't seem like it's it should be as good as it is. This it's it's somehow it is more than the sum of its parts to me. Um, 
And we haven't finished watching the first season, so maybe there's something I'm forgetting about. But my memory was that this was the only borderline great episode from the first season. Um, so far, this is this is the only episode for so far from the first season that that I have felt that way about during this new uh, viewing. Um, but it's odd in that, like I I, I'm, I wonder if it's. If it's if it would be obvious to a non Star Trek person, what's good about it, you know, like I don't know, uh, the Visitor or Inner Light, you could play those things for a non Star Trek person, and they would be like, wow, that's really good, right? Mm-hmm. This episode, there's so many things about it um, that I'm not sure they would translate, and may, and in a way, does that take away from its quality? Um, um, well, I would say this is a very entertaining episode. I wouldn't put it above, say, Datalore, which we talked about today, because I think Datalore probably says a lot more, not just about the series, but just internally as an episode. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, you know, I mean, we'll get into this later about what this episode's about. But I did find this episode to be very entertaining. It was paced very well. It was a good story. I mean, everything about it is really good. Um, but when I got to, down to it about what it was about, I kind of was like, mm, well, not okay, so much. It's, it's interesting you mentioned Datalore, because uh, so far I would say Datalore is my second favorite episode from season one, you know, behind this one. Um, but the kind of reasons that I love this episode so much, mm-hmm. that, that, that it stands out to me, that I remember so well that it's the best episode from season one, um, are it, when we were talking about Datalore, um, we brought up. We compared it to an episode of the original series um, in many ways. With the, the, the way the lore character is similar to Khan, the way the entire story wraps up with the fist fight, like so many of the episodes of the original series. There are a lot of things about it that were very original series, right? Um, and, <clears throat> you know, if you started watching Next Gen if, from original series, you had the, you had the pilot. Okay, that's, that was interesting. That was very different, I guess. Um, then you had the first episode of the series proper, uh, The Naked Now, which was a very obvious reference, of course, nothing but a reference to the original series, an homage uh, at best, or, or excuse me, yeah, at best, at worst, it was, some people argued, too much, too similar. Um, and then even the better episodes we've had so far, like Datalore, that are very similar. I would agree with you. I, well, that doesn't necessarily take away, but what happens with 1100-1001 is that this is the first episode where they showed me what the next generation could be that was, A, very different from next gen, and, or, excuse, yes, I'm sorry, very different from the original series, and very good. So we've had other episodes in this in this. Um, season that I think were consciously different from the original series and still good, but not really good. This was the first time this episode was beginning for me, and I didn't really... I don't know how much other people feel it. Maybe you guys don't feel this way at all. But for me, this was the first episode where Next Gen kind of came into its own. This is the first one where I was like, oh, that's what the show could be. I don't wow, disagree with cool. you. I, you know? I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you structurally, and you know, from a, a from a formatting standpoint, you know, you have every you have all the elements of next gen in this episode together. You have the holodeck, you have the ship, you have the you know. There's it's it's very exciting. Um, but like I said, when I, I think the only the only weak part about this show, and I wouldn't even say it's that weak, is like re- what's it about? 
I mean, what are they trying to say in this show? As compared to other shows in this ser- in the season, in this particular season, it's more clearly defined what they're trying to say and what they're trying to to show you. That that's, would be my only complaint about this episode. And I'm not saying valid, that that's a very valid question. Obviously, you know, the point of our podcast makes it a triply valid question. Um, Steve, you've been silent. What are your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I was just pondering this. I, I, you know, to me, it's just like the difference between like this and data lore. And I would have trouble saying uh, one I like one more than the other because I, I do like both episodes quite a bit. But to me, it's like the difference like were um, would be that this episode feels more like um, kind of an like an art house film that makes you think of a whole lot of different issues then don't necessarily there's not like this one big theme that comes out of it that like here's what we're trying to say blankety blank blank you know like a moral you know which like as we said that usually is what we're talking about in terms of what makes it good what makes it not good or whatever but there are a whole lot of definitely a whole lot of things to think about you know i mean i i you know i, I come out of them and i think of the different elements and there's so many so many themes you can ponder you can talk about uh riker and minuet and what's he looking for and her you know the disappearance of this holographic character at the end and and you know what's what's that about you have the 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 binars what they were trying to do uh, what should they have done et cetera et cetera the, the uh, concept of a of a species that that so evolves with its technology and takes yeah. what does that take away from your species yes yeah um and then i think the other the other factor though i think about this too that we haven't really mentioned is that it, this in some ways it's a very cinematic uh, episode in, in a weird way because there are a lot of private small things about it but also there's tons of effect shots with, which look awesome in this hd you know some of that stuff like the them going to that space station at the top of it and all that stuff you know um and you know the whole everyone's leaving the ship and the big red alerts and it's going off. I mean, all this kind of big danger stuff. And yet, I don't know if that's more compelling or less compelling than what's going on in the holodeck during kind of the meat of the episode, you know? So uh, I just think there's a lot of different things to go, that are going on to ponder, you know? And I think that's what makes it different um, from from a traditional episode that we would call a great or good episode. Yeah, so like, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a, a great example, you know? You've got these huge things going on um, outside of the holodeck, at the same time, you've got the, the, what couldn't be more intimate: three characters sitting uh, at the table talking, um, and that's that's the kind of thing that where I say like this show really came into its own here, uh, because almost every other episode before this one, I can imagine a variation of it being pulled off in the original series differently, not as well, whatever, fine, but this one. No, I can't even fake it in my head seeing this, uh, the original series. And when we talk about what it's about, that's, <clears throat> that was the exact thought. What Steve just said was the exact thought I had when you said you felt like it, you would have a hard time picking it out, Adam, was that for me it was, <clears throat> it was a really cool balance, actually, of uh, being about a lot of these different things. And, and, and I know some of the times when we've talked about if they try too much stuff, it ends up falling apart. And, and I could see someone making that argument here. Well, they, they tried to talk about too many things, and um, they didn't really go into depth in any one of them. I could see that argument. I would disagree with it in this one instance uh, because it did get me thinking about all these different things. You know, when you first see the binars, you know, and they explain who they are, and they're talking for a minute. It, it's one of their first lines. They have some line about 
it, it makes them almost human. You know, they're not robots. Um, so I, I don't even remember. I think it's Wesley. I don't remember. Somebody says something about, oh, uh, you know, uh, well, that must have tremendous advantages to, you know, evolve with your technology. And then they say, and some disadvantages too, you know, aside from the fact that it obviously sets up, oh, there's something else going on with them in this episode. <coughs> It so immediately defines their species in an almost in, in almost a human way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the, now they've got a little bit of drama, and that's that one little line. That one line right at the beginning changes the way I see them for the rest of the episode. Obviously, by the end, you know they were really trying to save their whole planet. Well, that's uh, that takes you there completely. But even right at the very beginning, they're not just a couple of little robot guys. Um, they're not shallow, even though. They should be given what they are. So I don't know, and it's just and it's right off the bat, you know. And then we've got some of the best, probably the best, the best holodeck stuff yet on the show. Um, the depth of this character, and 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 um, Picard has some specific lines about it, um, about how we've never seen someone like this before. But we know she, we still find out that she was programmed. Um, but even that. Say go, go down to the holodeck. There's so much stuff going on in this episode. So many big things, so many small things. They really take their time in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. There, they have they have almost an entire like maybe even an entire piece of music. They they're dancing. Um, Picard comes in and they have some French banter, and it's not even just like one line. You know, it's a bunch. By the way, Steve, you should tell us what they said because I didn't know. What they said. <laughs> I I followed it along at the time, but I don't know if I recall exactly. I think I think it was something like. Um, I really want to see you naked. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It, was some, it was something to do with uh, uh, where you, where you're from. Are you from Paris? And it's like, aren't we all from Paris or something like this? Something to that effect. Yeah. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> Um, there's there's just there's so much going on and there's so many the characters are all so real and there's so much depth to them you know and 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 Riker even has a line about you know how real are you and she says I'm as real as you need me to be um you know, uh, I, I don't want to. I'm not like cutting to the chase here by saying this, but just because we're talking about what you know, the core of this. For me, for me, the core of it is the holodeck stuff and Riker and Minuet. And the reason is, is I think, is because the the meat of it in the middle of what they're talking about, and also because they really end on that. It's like they purposefully he yeah. he's down there, he comes out, she's not there anymore. And for me, that makes it kind of like if anything, it's a little bit about kind of like the ghost in the machine. You know, like you have there are certain variables that there are certain things that come about, like. Let's assume she's a pro. You know, the the logic an- logical answer here is she's a program that somehow went away when they uploaded stuff back to the planet, and that's it. It's not anything magical or something like that. But it is magical in a way to fall in love with a computer program a little bit. You know, and it kind of uh, is a precursor to some of the things we later see in what what is life and and the holographic characters and stuff too. Well, but you know, it's like it's like for Riker, especially Riker, who clearly has made it clear thus far in the first season that he's he's a he's a career man that uh, you know his he's having a real experience here this is the the most heartfelt thing he's had for a you know a in a romantic way or whatever in the series so far and especially know. when you know it when you know that she's not yeah. real and and you can feel this way about her you know and he has a, he has a line about that and then and then i like picard's line he's like well you know what is love except an illusion of some sorts when you when you first feel it <laughs> you know when when you you're making these connections with someone 
you know, she's as real as as it, she would need to be. She was as real as anybody would be to him. That's what I meant. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's it, it, we're all um, you know defined by um, our interactions with others, and his interaction with this woman isn't any less real than it was with anyone else. Um, but you're right. That's a that's a great point too, Steve. How. Um, by ending the episode on him going down to the holodeck and trying to see her and not finding her there. Um, if you had any doubt about the, the direction of the episode, uh, before that, you know, it's confirmed then. Um, and it is more than anything, uh, about Riker and Minuet. It's, it's so... Well, yeah, like, uh, what do you guys think? Well, Adam, you're not as enamored by it as Steve and I, I guess, but do, do you guys think that this episode would be totally forgettable in season five? No. Hmm. I didn't say I didn't like it. I just, no, I, no, I know that. I, did, I, did, I know that. <laughs> and I, I would also agree with Steve that that's the episode is <clears throat> more or less that with everything going on, it is about Riker, and that's that's where the emotion of the episode comes from. Is the holodeck scenes? I think I think why why we why the notion that you have of would it work later or not is I think it may be because it, it's so new still. Next Gen is so new, you don't have kind of a f- formula. Not to say that the episodes are formulaic later, but when you get to know everybody and it becomes so like this is how it works. This is this would almost be some like like a strange kind of. I don't know, artsy alternative something thrown in later. Once it gets rolling with the kind of the plot driven, you know, kind of thing early on, I think we're still fresh with it. You know, it's, it's, we haven't seen enough episodes to like where we, where we would have trouble fathoming something like this just thrown in at us, you know, maybe that's it. Um, no, I think it would worry. I mean, obviously it works in Voyager. I mean, there's a whole character based on this type of question, you know, what's real, what's isn't real. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily involves like um, when and where it happens. It's about what we were talking about, the emotion about is the person real or are they not? You know, Picard's question, obviously, that that is the illusion. doesn't matter if it's computer generated or if it's a, a real person, you know. A lot of these questions that have been asked in this and these, just the episodes that we've talked about today, you know, data being a machine, us, you know, biologicals were basically a machine. Same questions being asked about, um, a holo, you know, a, a computer-generated holo, hologram, you know, is it human or is it not? So, it's a lot of questions, and it seems like we, I mean, you know, going back and looking at this now, it seems like these questions get are being asked a lot, especially in this first season. I didn't really, you know, hadn't really thought about it in previous viewings, but we seem to be coming back to this theme in this first season. I mean, what is real, what is not, and um, how do you define it? Yeah, the, the other fun thing about this episode is is how much it's, um, how much I've grown up with it, or it's grown with me, or I've, I don't know, um, you know, because Steve, I think you mentioned earlier about like the big exciting stuff, and you know, when I was a kid, when I, you know, I would have been what, eleven or something when I first saw this, and I remember, I definitely remember, oh, the Starbase, and yeah, I mean, some of the plates and stuff are from Star Trek Three, but that's mm-hmm. the Enterprise D, you know, um, and it looks great and it looks big, and and the binars when I was a kid, they were so cool, and oh, that's I want that little thing on my 
you know, <laughs> ways so I can talk that way or whatever. That was so cool, you know. Um, and as I got older, I mean, that stuff was still cool. But then I, the older I got, the more I appreciated the character stuff and the stuff, all the, you know, what we're talking about, the real meat, which is the Riker minuet stuff. Um, I really started to appreciate that a lot more as I got older. But, you know, when I was 11, I was like, oh, man, they set the destruct sequence. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> that whole sequence is cool. Uh, so there's, there's just – there's so many different levels that you can enjoy this episode on too. Um, and again, sitting next to, say, Angel 1, it makes it so clear um, – that Angel One, you know, that an episode like Angel One doesn't have that. It does not have, it doesn't have all those levels. I think that's where the the one the one weak part about the strike is the self destruct sequence because we've seen enough Trek over the years, especially with the um, the movies where you know they have to enter in a code and they can enter in the the time and everything like this. This was like you know it's five minutes and that's it. I'm like really you you don't have any leeway on when to blow up the ship. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we know by the time they had the <clears throat> Enterprise E, they could they could make it whatever they wanted because he does a ten minute silent countdown. Yeah. Well, no, they did it with the original Enterprise. And three, he he set the the um, for a minute. He was able to set the. But it was top. a lot more trouble to set the um, to set it in the original. I think they they pretty much just do whatever they want to do. Yeah, for exactly. The I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, you they say did. that, but but he's meant like if the uh, the self destruct sequence in Star Trek Three actually is the same one that they used in the original series. The whole the, all the stuff. True, it's the true. But. Yeah, anyway. they kind of gloss over it real quick. But like, I don't mind that. I mean, it's it's quick. It needs to be quick. You know, they're not really going to destroy the ship here. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, even that, there's another. That's another great example. So we beam onto the bridge, phasers in hand on both sides, ready for a firefight. And the binaries are sleeping. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's another great example of not, not just different from. Uh, original series or, or next gen that came before it, but different than a lot of, of, of television. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to see the look on Riker's eyes, like I don't want to blow up the ship. I want to go back to the bar. What are you talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that with me, maybe. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, if, he, if he was really that enamored with Minuet, you know, he could have just called up the binars and been like, "Hey, can you pass that program along?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I saved your planet. At least give me the program. (laughs) Well, but then the series would have taken a far different turn. (laughs) I'm really glad this episode uh, held up to my memory of it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely looked great in HD. This is this is also one of those ones that if I'm flipping channels and it's it's on, I will watch it. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't say that about some of the other ones, maybe, but no. very good, very good. Anything else you guys want to say on this one? No, I think I'm good. No, oh, we didn't even mention uh, blind man teaching an android how to paint. <laughs> yeah. that, was, uh, that was pretty funny, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, very very good. Well, it's the first yeah the first time we get to see Data painting. He'll be painting throughout the series. Yes, he will. Okay, so let's move on and wrap up for the day with six degrees for one one zero zero one zero zero one. I believe our score is three to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Gene uh, Dynarski plays Commander Quinteros, the officer from the Starbase that thinks the Biners are all that. In the original series' first season, he played Ben Childress, 
one of the lithium miners that secures a mate from Harcourt Fenton Mud. Name the episode. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'd forgotten he was one of those rare ones in both series, you know, and uh, I recognized him though right off, and I'd actually looked this up ahead of time, but I remembered he was, you know, he was in that. But Mud's women. You are correct. It was Mud's women. Yeah, once you, once you like. Look it up. You're like, oh my god, it is him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he he aged fairly well. I mean, that's over 20 years, and you know, I think given what still, he looked like back then, I think he's still alive. He's in his 80s, but I think he's still alive. Hmm. Uh, four to one. I'm not sure you're going to pull this one off, Adam Caesar, but let's uh, give it a oh. shot anyway. Caroline uh, Caroline McCormick plays Minuet, the holographic vixen, in Next Gen's fourth season in the episode Future Imperfect. McCormick returns to play Min Riker, Riker's wife in a simulation. Her presence helps helps Riker realize he is in a simulation. How did she be? Uh, excuse me. How did she come to be in this simulation? Um. She was programmed from Riker's um, fond memories of her into the simulation. That is correct. Barash scanned Riker's memories and thought Minuet was a real person that Riker had had a relationship with since he had had real feelings for her. All right, four, four to two. That doesn't sound so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He only stole one. <laughs> So sorry again, folks, about my minor, minor cold. Hopefully, it's gone. Do I? I don't know. Do I sound different? I don't even know. Not, not particularly. No, you're you're always a little nasally. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wait and see how hard your questions are next time, but. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, you know, I got one one comment. The. I don't even know what it's called. The, the the Star Trek four issue comic series that's counting down to the movie, the new movie, uh-huh. whatever this countdown one is called. The first issue came out this week. I haven't picked it up or or read it. I'll 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 pick them up after the movie comes out. But just the idea that the first issue is out now, and they're releasing one each month until the new movie is avail is out. Doesn't that make it sound like the new movie is really close? Yeah, yeah. So what's it, what's the series based on? The comic book series. Well, you remember, like for the last J.J. Abrams movie, they did a countdown. They did a, they did a yeah. They did so that they, graphic novel that came out before, right? Yeah. Well, they did they did four monthly issues, and then they put them into one right. one uh, trade paperback. Yes, they're doing the same thing this time. It's another prequel story leading up to the movie. Okay. Um, but just the idea that that the first issue is out now, and there's one each month between now and the time the movie comes out, and there's only four of them. Very soon. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I got to say really fast. I've been reading that the first of the uh, the newspaper strips. I told you they put all those into one big hardcover. Oh yes. Uh-huh. Well, it's it, if assuming it sells well enough, there will there will be a volume two in which they'll put all the rest. So this is about half of them. It's so good, man. It's great. I'm loving it. I love it. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. And I haven't seen any marketing for it or anything. Like one little interview, I think on TrekWeb. But um, so I don't know who who else buying it, but I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm just it's it's so cool. It's so cool to get all these early '80s comics, basically that no one's ever, no one has, no one's seen for 30 years. So um, I highly, highly recommend if you have any interest in that sort of thing, checking it out. It's called Star Trek: The Newspaper Comics. It's a beautiful hardcover. You know the way they did it back then. It was Sundays was like a full page and in color, and then each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there would just be one strip. You know, so like three or four panels in black and white. Hmm. Okay. It, it's still going the same story. So as you're reading, you'll get you'll get the six black and whites, and then you'll get you know 
the same thing, but all in color. And the and the way they set the story up, you know, it goes through several, I don't know, you know, a couple of months or something. So that you, you know, so this huge hardcover has ten or twelve actual full complete stories. Anyway, I just think it's it's really cool and really fun. So I highly recommend checking it out. Okay, uh, you know, I should have looked it up. I I think the next time we're still just going to do three. And then maybe after that we have to do a couple of fours, but I'll let you guys know. Okay. Um, follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our email address is trekcompanion at gmail.com. Uh, our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Um, if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. I saw one of our listeners did that um, last month you know, recently, and I really appreciated that very much, and I wanted to call them out, and here I am trying to um, take up time while I look it up, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate it That's, when people do that. Steve uh, and I can talk amongst ourselves. Give us a topic. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, to the point of the episodes, I did count the remaining in the first season, and it would come out if we did three the next time, and then four two times. Yeah. So. And three at the end? Um, no, actually, if we did, well, <clears throat> there are, well, I'll just say this, there's 11 to go. Oh. So we should do. If you want to do three at the end, we should, we'd either do four in the next time or four the following time. Yes. Okay. Or for the last time. Last one for the season was three, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, of course, now. Actually, no. There's actually, we'd have to do four the next two times. Yeah. To so get three the last time. Four, then three. Yeah, two fours and then three would come out to three the last time. I'm going to do. And my iTunes is locked up, so I can't even. So whoever it was that, that, that left us a review last month, thank you so much for doing that. Sorry. Thank you. We'll find out who you are next episode. We'll hunt you down. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Good night, guys. See you.